Podcast. Uh, I'm here joined on stage. I'm Dan Stubbs, by the way, and I'm joined. We're primarily here to talk about your fabulous memoir. Do we call it a memoir? Uh, autobiography? Yeah, or? I think memoir is quite a sh- sort of sh- shitty name because it just alludes to boring or sensationalistic. So something be- beyond memoir, maybe. Okay. Know. All right. I mean, I didn't mean that. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> it's certainly not boring. It's, it, it sort of reads like uh, a mix between a tale of Dickensian squalor uh, and an early 80s episode of Grange Hill. And uh, possibly a bit of, you know, those, those confessions films, like Confessions of a Window Cleaner. I'm thinking specifically of that one anecdote with your dad when you, you had to pretend that he wasn't Oh, yeah. 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 Um, it's a, it really quite an incredible read. Um, how many therapists have been in touch with you to give you a quote for their services? Well, they're a bit late. Aren't they? <laughs> Um, no, no. It's very, there's a lot in there. Did you, how did you approach kind of telling this story? Because you've not done it in a conventional way at all, have you? No, I mean, I knew I had some stories, and I think I probably, what happens as a result of living in a fantastical world from an early age, good and bad, is you embellish them maybe for negative reasons, for attention and stuff. So I thought I wanted to frame it and put it down and stop, you know, going, my dad, my dad. And, um, and sort of tell the whole story, of not just about Dad, but put it all into context. And I, but I also thought, oh, well, I'll blag a book deal of some kind, and I'll get the money, and I probably might not write it, but I'll still get the money, but it's quite cool. I can tell people I blagged it. So I did exactly that, and then the pandemic happened, and I was sort of forced into a... <laughs> into a like, but that's pretty good, isn't it? Because most people came out of the pandemic with maybe, you know, um, a drinking problem. You yeah. came out of it with a book. So I did, was that, that must be quite difficult to find the discipline. Or was the strangeness of it all, did that kind of play into it? Did you have a lot of time to go back into to memories? I, I had nothing to do, and I just... I just was very disciplined. And my son was doing his A-levels and he's a sort of kind of turbo nerd. And, um, and then I was a bit like, oh, well, fucking hell. And we both, like, you'd literally sit at the other side of our very shit table and we'd both work. And I thought, well... And I just got to that point where I bullshitted my... I had the money. I probably spent the money. And, um, and there was no touring going on. And I, yeah, and it was just a forced... Um, it forced it out of me somehow. Did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy writing it? No, I don't know if I enjoyed it. No, not at all. But <laughs> I will reiterate, you will enjoy reading it. Is I enjoyed f- finishing it. I got this amazing guy that I signed to who's very kind of different, maybe, in that literary world. Quite a bit Essex and a bit um, um, alternative. And, you know, it's quite gruff. And he just helped me through it in a very clever way. And when I sent some stuff in towards the end of the lockdown, he went, I think we got a fucking book. Or something like that, and I, you know, without me knowing, I'd finished it, and he was just really, yeah, he was brilliant. That's quite interesting in and of itself, really, because the book. Uh, I mean, for anyone who doesn't know, um, Baxter's dad is uh, well, a, a legend, um, and uh, the book really tells this interesting story of you kind of trapped in different worlds. It feels like you're kind of often pinged into a world of posh people that you don't quite get on with, often hanging out with, you know, kind of let's say, some interesting characters. Your, your babysitter, the Strangler, for example. 
Um, and you kind of, but you, you sort of blend into all these different worlds, don't you? You kind of, you, 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 you find yourself really kind of cheering on the young Baxter as he goes through these adventures. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess so. I sort of wrote it as much as I, it happened in my, you know, how you perceive that the experience happens in your young mind from an old mind and stuff. So, but you, as a young person, you don't question it being any different from anybody else. You just a bit, you can try and compare how extraordinary certain aspects of your life are with certain people that you admire. And maybe you kind of drug addled six foot seven guy taking you to school. You're thinking why no one else is. But you, you know, you get older and you go to realize that you are the freaks at one point. Yeah, but you know, but but you, when you're young, you don't question it. You just um, it feels normal. And that that's actually where you don't like feel pissed off by it either. You actually really loved it. You know. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of love for your your childhood in there. Even though there was, you know, you you went to quite a lot of schools. It's fair to say, isn't it? <laughs> Judging by the year. A few, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, never left on good terms. No, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know, but yeah, no, no. But there's a lot of there's a lot of love for this life that you had. I think you that you can tell that you feel kind of blessed to have, to have had that experience as much as some of it was quite painful. Yeah, I'm trying to learn about it. I don't, I don't actually necessarily think I had a bad upbringing, and actually writing the book tamed the idea of feeling sorry for myself because actually both my parents were really amazing really hard working and dad was fucking eccentric more than and, and had some sort of brutal parts of his nature but he wasn't a total cunt you know he was like a clever <laughs> clever guy and my mum was amazing so in fact I was really blessed and they were both really clever so there's a bit I mean in, in the book you kind of describe being mortified by it but there's a bit where your dad essentially does what every kid hopes their dad does where your deputy head teacher calls up at home to complain about you, and he and he says what? Oh, that yeah. He, um, well, I'd been missing for about six months, probably <laughs> in and out, and and I used to run. My mum used to drive me into one end of the school gates, and um, my, I used to drive me into one end of the school gates, and I'd run through the corridor and get out the little hole in the gate, whatever. And they couldn't find me for about six months. And then eventually, and she was actually a really lovely woman, which is why I was mortified. Because even at a precociously young age, I could identify with the sort of being regretful or, or hurting someone that was essentially nice. But this woman, at that stage that she rang dad to look for me, was a represented authority or something. So when, when they eventually found me, and I used to stay at dad's, and he didn't really care that I was bunking off, I answered the phone stupidly and it was her looking for me and she said she talked about the authorities and stuff and that speak to dad and I had to wake dad up at about 12 o'clock in the afternoon and um, I could I mean, and that was a scary proposition alone and you didn't know what you would find in his room or whatever you know you're like fucking hell and then um, he just picked up the old kind of baker like phone that he had and, and acted quite normally for a while and sort of quite because he could be quite conservative dad and quite kind of talk quite clearly and then he just sort of grunted and went meh meh well why don't you fuck off you snotty fucking maggot <laughs> and I just thought it was a really turnaround moment where I thought I love my dad and I really do love him and I think he's made some great music that's so horrible what he said I really felt and I really felt a real crisis of where I belonged 
I think there's that, there's that sense, isn't there, of you as a kind of a, the, the naive going through this. And you saw a lot of things in the, the, the kind of would make people's eyes bleed. It's also interesting that it's a music memoir, but you don't play a note in it because it stops when you're 22, doesn't it, really? Um, so there's an interesting thing there that happened, you know, the timing of it. You, you were off sort of trying to discover what your, your sound might be when, when your dad got ill. There was never any crossover there, was there, between kind of... Um, he, he didn't hear an album you put out or anything like that. Is no, that fair? No, Is that I right? don't know if that was intentional or not, because he's quite a foreboding... I don't know if I would really, really wanted to play him. I mean, Dad was in, stuck in his own loop. He's in a sort of self-obsessive loop. And that's why he was great. And it's not his fault that he was like that. But... He wasn't. He didn't have much time to work out how good your drum sound is, or what. You know, he didn't really give a fuck. You know what I mean? He wanted you to go and buy him a standard, and you know, whatever. He was like, he was like Pinochet, my dad. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's about the nearest person I can think. Who's a, they, you know, the, what do you say in the book? A, a, a skunk-smelling Fagin or something? You call yeah, some, a pot-soaked. A pot-soaked Fagin. Yeah. 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 He wasn't yeah. that. Didn't really care about that stuff. Yeah. So. Was, was there a kind of a, do you think there was any part of you was sort of reticent about putting that music? I mean, I know that you, I think you've struggled a bit with the, the legacy of your surname, haven't you? You know, um, and it's, this book is a nice way of kind of showing what your version of that was and that it is such an intrinsic part of, your, of, of who you are. Yeah, struggles are different. I think we all need a struggle and I've got a strange struggle where you need to set aside what people expect from you from what, how great someone else may have been and how you can have a normal journey to being what your version of great is without it being corrupted by people's... So a certain generation can't get their head round. They just think I'm a sort of fucking cauliflower. You know what I mean? They just can't get like, uh, what the fuck's he on about? And then another generation might not know who Dad was and they, they kind of judge what I do, uncontaminated by that. And I think it takes a lot of uh, control not to get sucked into being who you want... You, People, because so many people want you to be a version of your dad, because that's very popular and it's packageable, and you know you have to work that stuff out. And testament to him and mum that they allowed us to think independently from that. And you, and but that's been my personal fight, which is quite an interest. You need a fight, and um, and that's what I've sort of used to, you know. And uh, there's a point where you get to a bit where you you've got to embrace it. You've got to embrace who your parents are. And then you've got to kind of separate and be. And this is two, so it's, it's it's now 20 years since your first album came out. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it definitely is. Well, as long as Wikipedia is correct. Yeah. Um, which is a little that's a milestone, really, isn't it? Because interestingly, in the book again, it's, it sort of talks about how your dad kind of ditched music and went into acting in what you describe as well. You're not very kind about the films he was in. No. <laughs> Well, is, there, is there one good one that you would recommend? No, no, there's none. That, that, I mean, that's just, that's just a sort of loss of um, purpose, isn't it? Because he was great and then he was shit. And, the, you know, the, musically, they were shit after a while. They were very shit. It commonly happens. You can be so good. They were so great by accident without really knowing why and very popular, and that can sort of rob you of your how good you are next. Does that make sense? I don't know what the fuck that means. Yeah, definitely. I think there was a really interesting thing in the book where you said it's like he didn't... He got to a point where he did a career where he didn't feel like he had to excel in it, almost. Yeah, maybe, yeah. I think, yeah, you just sort of cash in after a while. You're tired, you know, you're internally tired and you cash in. Um, 
however, this hasn't happened to you. So it's two decades now in the, in the industry. What are you working on at the moment? Oh, several, you know, media, I'm doing all sorts. Um, well, I've, um, I might, I don't know. Well, Baxter was just telling me he's a, he's a surprise EDM superstar all over America, right? Oh, yeah, no, no, I just, I did a, um, I did a tune with a dance guy who's like a kind of writer guy called, um, I was about to say write said Fred, but his name's not like that. <laughs> Who is Fred again. Yeah, sorry. Right, said Fred. Is he? No, I'm glad Fred's not here. That might be a bit damaging. Um, right, right, no, right, said Fred again. Um, but no, I just did a tune with this guy without thinking about it. He's just kind of super hot, pot. No, I don't mean hot in a sort of sexualized way, but in a more of a corporate way. It's corporately. Uh, next question. <laughs> he is quite hot. He's very symmetrical. Anyway, but, he, but can I? I'll finish it. I'm on a kind of. He's so popular, and he, and I just saw a, a thing with him playing in Coachella, and he got. He's really kind of manipulative in a way. He goes, "Dude, can you like bare fresh? Can you like oh, Can you like film yourself with like a gold tooth and introduce the song?" And I'm just doing my usual sort of rant over this song, but the song's pretty big in a certain world, and he's playing Coachella. And I, put, and I saw them yesterday or something on, on Instagram, and there's a massive, like, 800,000-foot picture of me with a gold tooth. Going, oh, like that. And, I'm and all these people going, bah! And I'm like, how the fuck? I've never achieved that. Co contrast that with your real life yesterday, which was what? Get, getting a haircut, was it? Oh, what? How did I tell you that? You just, you just noticed, did you? Is it that obvious? What do you mean? Making me feel a bit... What do you mean? That's nice, though, isn't it? There's a sort of alternate digital you enjoying a sort of a, yeah, a, like a, a, a stadium rock career over there. Like. What do they call it when you've got a fake version of you? A, um, a what's it? A an pure, avatar. An avatar, yeah. An yeah. Avatar like you should have sent the avatar to do this, probably, and sent yourself over to Coachella. Yeah, totally, yeah, but then it wouldn't <laughs> have worked, would it? Because what's the, what's I mean, the qu quickest time into an interview where someone's mentioned... Well, you know what happens is what's interesting is musically I don't get asked so much because I go a bit prickly because I'm more defensive. But in the context of writing this book, it opened, it allowed me to be less defensive because I started writing about him and writing about me. But it wasn't about him. But yeah, totally and utterly internally in fucking civil war about it. And I start to think, fucking dad, you prick, you know what I mean? <laughs> but I don't feel that, but that's a legacy I have to constantly deal with, yeah. But, you know, it depends on where you are. Like, in France, I don't give a fuck about him. If you're in Germany, they're so obsessed by him. Like, I on jury, you know what I mean? So... Because <laughs> <laughs> he insisted that you learn German. Was that, was that was just business matters, was it, that he was hoping that was... He was just pissed. <laughs> Um, is it right you live in the same house? That the, the, the Yeah, I mean, I'm not doing myself any favours, <laughs> am I? You know what I mean? Which the was... Ian Jury Museum. <laughs> Do you live in the Ian Jury Museum? <laughs> Do you commonly dress up as him? I'm... Yes. I do, yeah, I mean, yeah, I do, I mean, dad, 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 but he, he got bought a house in, um, by a record company in the early 80s, and it overlooks Hammersmith Bridge, and it's amazing, and it's not, I can't tell you the exact address, but you could work it out. Um, but and um, and in the between the time that he died, it got rented out to the Norwegian Tourist Board, and I didn't see it. And, and he had a other family, consequently, and it paid for them to go to various Bohemian posh schools and blah blah blah, usual traditional stuff that didn't work out. 
And, um, and then I had the opportunity to rent it back off the family, which is quite controversial, and move back in there with my son and sort of assimilate very similar conditions to the way I lived there with my with daddy. Um, and, but my son's really smart, amazingly like different prospect than, than we've been. So we're quite different. And he doesn't smoke weed or put anything in his eyeballs or up his arse. Well, <laughs> he doesn't put like chemicals up his ass. And, um, and it, yeah, it's a sort of aversion. You know, time moves on, but we're still there. But when we moved back in there, the neighbours, some of the neighbours, because it's an amazing flat, so you don't want to move out of there. So some of the neighbours have lived there for, like, over 40 years. So when we moved back in, they were all like, fucking hell, here they are. And I go, no, 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 it's fine. It's I've changed, fine. I've changed. But slowly and surely, they thought, no, they are. They're just a diff- I'm a different version of a cunt. <laughs> a modern cunt. Which is my new book, Modern Cunt. So you mentioned you, 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 you have your own son there. Did you, there's an element of, from the book where it seems like the chaos that your dad caused occasionally, you, you quite enjoyed it. Do you, do you try and throw spanners in the works of your son's life like that? I don't try. I mean, you are, you know, you are what you're from and your natural tendencies to react emotionally and stuff are informed by how you've been brought up, right? So I might not react as what some person, other people might perceive as conventionally to certain situations because of what, you know, what's happened to you. And, 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 and maybe, you know, as a result, sometimes he thinks, you know, you're a bit curious the way, you know. What I mean is that it all changes, doesn't it? So I'm, not, I mean, not to talk about dad constantly, but it's interesting because why I've written this book Dad is the author of a certain type of chaos that allowed me to be free and mad and see all this shit. So he, you have to constantly, and, it, and it, he's responsible for keeping everyone alive. So he's right, he's quite smart because he's gone right. Everyone, this sort of t- he's lit in the touch paper and going right. Go everyone, you're going to fucking do what you want. And we all went ah, do what we want. And he managed to make enough money or managed to bring everyone back in more or less. Does that make sense? So. So he's a very a strong character that's gone, right, we're going to cause as much chaos as possible, and, but you're all going to more or less be all right. And, but things have moved on. That, that chaos, you know, Cosmo, my son, isn't um, expected to do what, what I was. I was an experiment. I was a young experiment. It really, uh, I just worked it out. You really thank <laughs> you. <laughs> you really um, paint a picture of, of life in... 1980s London as well as a as a kid back then. That's so kind of rich, and it, it, I just love the way you kind of observed all fads that came your way, didn't you? It's like hip hop, graffiti, break dancing. You'll do anything. Well, we were into a sort of different thing than most. You know, we weren't floppy haired. You know, our crew. We were more. We were knobs, but we weren't like. <laughs> we didn't go. The, the some people were floppy haired, and we were more kind of thought we were adopting from America and stuff, and and hip hop and. Things like that. If, if you weren't wearing a white suit, I'd ask you to do the worm for us now. I could. I could do it in a white suit. <laughs> but I won't. But I could. <laughs> I fucking could. It looked good as well. <laughs> I bet it would. Especially at neon. Yeah. But another conversation. Um, when you were finding your own sound that time, so it, the, the book starts with you on this trip um, abroad where you were kind of, you, you, well, you'd gone to Austin, hadn't you, to sort of figure out what Baxter Jury sounds like. What were the elements that went into that then? So there's, you know, it's it's uh, lyrically dense often, isn't it? Um, you know, kind of what what 
you, it's not a kind of an easy pigeonhole, is it, your music? Oh, me? Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't listen to it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, I thought you were talking about something else there, but I went off. Um, uh, yeah, I don't I know did go, I rambled on a bit with that question, so I don't blame you for drifting off. I yeah. don't think you should pigeonhole your own music. Your music's just, you try and, you, I think I sound like Kendrick, to be honest, but I don't, but... And you you got to believe in something, go there, and you kind of another. You, you don't get to choose your audience, and in a way, you're just trying to be Al Green or whoever, and you're not. And you and you, but if, as long as you try, and you sort of good enough, and you're quite good, which I am, um, <laughs> you kind of get somewhere, don't you? Eventually, but you, I don't know if you ever are the thing you think you are, or you should be really. Definitely. If you if you were the person you were, you'd mimicking something so clearly that it's because there's this missing chunk you know between the the end of the book and and your the start of your music career it's like yeah. it feels like you could have joined any one of a dozen Britpop bands if you wanted to probably you knew all those people but you, you sort of right. went AWOL in, in in music terms in that decade in the 90s yeah I wasn't really making music in the 90s you I were think you I were filming channel challenge anchor for a while I was which doing was doing stuff like that yeah but I think that's the kind of you know coming from a famous background stuff you kind of you know you put off or you're a bit scared you know that's a scary um, idea to become and you know the legacies are awful aren't they Her in her you know inheritances and musical legacies are kind of terrible pop music ones are awful kind of classical ones are great and all that but and actors get away with it I mean Cumberbatch will have a great young you know <laughs> proposition but I think it's a weird sentence isn't it you know, I, you know what? Last week I went to a funeral for a guy called Derek the Draw, who used to sell dad pot, actually. And he, he sang with the Blockheads um, for the last 10, 15 years. And sadly, he died. And it was a classic kind of situation. There was a cardboard coffin with some um, hashish signs all around it. A guy called the Rocking Bargey sang. And there was a guy called... There was two guys I talked to, and they were both called... One on Savory was called Mick the Fascist, and I went, I don't really know why you're called Mick the Fascist. And the other guy was called Mickey Two Sewers, and I spoke to him and went, Ooh. and I realised why he was called Mickey Two Sewers, because he's fucking stank. <laughs> but he's obviously been called that for decades, and, um, and he still stank. So anyway, that, yeah, so and there I saw a whole bouquet of old characters them, they're the ones I remember. Well, how do they how do they react to you these days? Because because uh, you they all think you're like, you know they all think you know they're all everyone's they all think that we're kind of like the injury millionaires. You know, they're all a bit. Oh right, they're, they're all eighteen. Not to be in a negative way, but they were quite old, and they all think that we're probably like the Kardashians. So they. <laughs> So they're kind of pulling up royalty checks situations from the from about 1984. Are they going like? There's a little bit of that going on, which is true. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> but you did say so. Tell us what your son said on you leaving the house today. Well, I shouldn't say that. He did call me a cunt when I left. He, went, he doesn't <laughs> say things like that. He went, hey, no, no, it's quite posh. You know, Dad, you look like a bit of a cunt. <laughs> You're gonna watch the football. And I'm like, Thanks, mate. And you and you just come back from a tropical holiday as well. So this is I quite a. You know, like he went out to um, save turtles, like all middle class kids do. And I thought, well, if you're going to go and save turtles in Costa Rica, I better come and see if you're okay. <laughs> so um, and he and so I went and met him in Costa Rica in a place called San Teresa in the corner of some idyllic beach, and I and we learnt to surf for four weeks, and the fucking best thing I've ever done. 
absolutely loved it. Are there, still, are there still turtles there that need saving after your visit? Well, I didn't see the turtles, obviously. I just saw the... Um, we, just, we were sort of dad and son co kind of surfing operation. And he was really good because he's lithe and, you know, and good at that sort of stuff. And I was a bit of a comedy. But it was great. It was just an amazing place to be. And there are macaws that fly down. And there are... Costa Rica, and I'm going to bore... Let's just talk about Costa Rica. Costa Rica is a sort of eco, uninvasive <laughs> island. So the monkeys have never been... Um, kind of fed, where you're not allowed to feed monkeys, so they're in their natural kind of um, natural behavioural environment and they just, everyone, they kind of they look at you, they kind of humanly look at you, but they don't do that begging thing which I've experienced in other countries not to bore the fuck so out So there's just you. a really good class of monkey out there I mean, there? it's just fucking magical, I could go on for ever, <laughs> anyway, carry on, next question um, So We've been talking about the book, obviously. There's a, lot of there's a lot of people who pop up in there, especially some school day characters. Like I say, the, the theme tune from like, Grange Hill with that sausage being bangered, that kept popping up in my head. You've got some japes in there, I think. You know, there's some Tucker Jenkins sort of stuff. Um, has anyone got in touch going like, you know, I am a deputy head now. Can you please, could, why did you have to put my name in this? No, no one's reacted like that. And obviously there were, like, when I made the book, there were... 36 different name changes, which is the most that that company <laughs> ever, ever had. Because I had to because you can't say anything about anyone in a compromising light without verifying it from the person that you're talking about. So you've got to be very careful about that sort of stuff. How did you come up with all the fun new names then? You just, you know what I've found, and kind of in, like quickly, is you don't think about it. You just the fucking first name that comes in is it. Because that's what pe people are named. All right, just give me a new one. Leonard. Anyway, I could do it forever. <laughs> and you just go, bang. You know, Lawrence and Leonard are favourites of mine. But it's really interesting because the book is, is written in this kind of clipped, really sparse prose, isn't it? There's no flab in there. And you never really say what it made you feel. There's no, you never a victim in any of these things. Or you never kind of play it off as like, poor me, this happened to me. And it's always really, you know, uh, I tried to feed someone a sandwich of shit and then this happened. Yeah. You know, it's, that is in there. I find like overwriting, like, or, like it's like playing too many guitar notes. You know what I mean? I just find it too <laughs> indulgent. And I, so I try to de-literise it. Or, or men are the worst at going. You know, autumn attacked me like a hungry crocodile. And, you know, whatever. <laughs> oh, fuck off! So I got rid of the crocodile. Did you find uh, the process quite similar to writing lyrics in that sense? Because, you, you, you know, your lyrics no, are... I go to town on my lyrics. You know what I mean? <laughs> I really go to... But I did the opposite process, writing. I just got rid of that shit that I found was indulgent. Yeah. I There's, don't know if that's good or bad, actually. But. I mean, it, it takes you by surprise sometimes because you'll just pass something off, like a huge life event will just be two sentences, you know? Well, that's also the skill... Uh, writing's a fucking skill beyond all of us. And to... to to, to remember something and, and sort of find the essence of the exciting aspect of an event is one thing, and to put it into sociological context is Graham Greene. You know, you're a fucking another level. So to just to write something and what happened and sort of get a bit of it in your language is, is you took everything out of me. To put it into a flow of, what, you know, how the great people do. I'm not even... It's just a nut. It's beyond the how that happened. So I don't know. There is another book to be read, uh, to be written, clearly. Yeah. Uh, will you require another global pandemic to get it out of you? No, no, I've been asked to do it. Now, you know what's really... I shouldn't talk about this too much, but um, I will. Um, but the, um, 
you know, there's also there's a sort of TV company trying to do something with it. So I've got a meeting next week, and that'll be fun. But they've also want me to go and write another one. But I I, I want to write it fictionally, with sort of you know what they call auto fiction or something, where you kind of can bullshit it. So you're not talking about because the next year is like a 30 year old bloke and. I couldn't think of anything duller than the exploits of a 30-year-old man. You know what I mean? I just thought, oh. <laughs> so I thought, I just, I thought I'd just write it. So I've sort of based it on the truth, and I'm going to fictionalise it a bit more, and I think they're going to let me do that. Love the idea of a TV series. Um, what, do, where do you think they would pitch it? Because I do guess you, know you could go, you know, could go train spotting it. But it's, just, it's the same company that, I better not sit, sorry, I'm going to curse it, and no, I'm going to shut up, but it, they're good people. Well, I was going to say, you, they, you know, they've got big eyebrows, these motherfuckers. <laughs> you could play it a couple of ways, though, couldn't it? You, it could be a kind of a, a, a kind of grit. It could be gritty, or it could be the in-betweeners, like, almost. Yeah, I, I think, it, you know, you're at the mercy to a thousand writers. So we'll see what happens. And they, they find the essence of something. Who would you like to see play the young you? Well, my son said it this morning, when I can play you, and he's too handsome. I was like, you're too handsome, son. Can he do the? Can he do the accent? No, he's too you posh. can do his. He's too posh, <laughs> handsome, and idle. Um, so I don't know about that. Actually, I don't know. Uh, but you know, obviously, we've had a film done about dad, and there was a kid playing me in that. Already, what, what, so. what was that like? What was it the experience? Was weird. I made like? him cry by accident because I, I just made him cry by accident, and his mum told me, oh, "Go on." Uh? There's a story there. Go on. Well, you? I can't really remember the context of it. Did you I give just, him a wedgie? I just when I wouldn't fucking talk like that, you know, twat or something, you know. <laughs> but I didn't mean it like I wasn't calling. I was trying to sort of badinage. Is that the word, right word? It was a, it was bad badinage. But he, um, he, t- he started crying. I realised he was only eleven. <laughs> and he went, got upset, and um, Andy Circus or somebody like that, steamed in and all that stuff. But yeah. Was that was it weird seeing Andy Serkis playing your dad as well? I mean, that must have been quite a. Yeah, it was fine. I mean, it was, they're nice people, but it's kind of a simplified version of your life, and it's fine, but it's also a bit stupid. And I think Andy Serkis is a lovely guy, but he probably got a little inkling what it's like to be a decadent lunatic, <laughs> and then tried to go with it. He went a bit puter, you know. He went a bit like he went with it. <laughs> and you started to rein him in a little bit. Like he started flicking ashtrays off restaurant tables. And you're like, right. fuck off, you're a, a sort of walnut-faced actor. <laughs> no, no, you know what I mean? But there was a bit of that, yeah, to go, you know, you're not. My stepmom actually said, grabbed him and went, Ian was my lover for many years, and he was very handsome, you know. <laughs> right, and he went, DIY Podcasts. Podcasts.